Hi everyone, welcome to the Be The Vessel podcast. My name is Daniel and I play the roles of channeler and intuitive psychologist, aiming to bridge all aspects of the healing arts while navigating my return journey to the stars. I interview those journeying through all aspects of healing, whether that be from more traditional Western frames or from a more spiritual or spirit-based connection. What I always find is that everyone is a bridge between worlds, a universe unto themselves, and a unique light that shines brightly for the collective. If you like what you hear and are interested in more of my offerings, consider joining the Be The Vessel community at patreon.com slash Atkins, where you will find various unique offerings bonus content, and podcasts such as my own channeled information and the new Be The Vessel healing series. May you find what you're looking for and remember the light within. Dr. Sandra Y. Lewis, personal energy strategist and weaver, connects professionals with resources to recharge their inner power, manage stress effectively, and recover from burnout. Dr. Sandra combines her expertise as a clinical psychologist with her extensive training in wellness techniques such as mindfulness, yoga nidra, meditation, and qigong. With this unique blend of wisdom, she designs practical strategies that enhance her clients' capacity to sustain a purpose-driven career and a life that they love living. You can find Dr. Sandra on LinkedIn or YouTube talking about burnout hiding in plain sight. Each episode, she explores patterns, habits, practices, and procedures that can decrease burnout for individuals and organizations. In these discussions, she offers tips for recharging and shifting into patterns that advance well-being. She is author of the book, Life in Four-Part Harmony. Get everything in your life to work with everything else in your life. You can also discover more at lifeinfourpartharmony.com, where you can contact Dr. Sandra directly. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Sandra as we weave together the stories that work for us, which don't have to match, they just have to go together. May this episode be a gift, an invitation, and a medicine to weave your own story and create your own spiritual foundation. I got this, this experience, this feeling that it's, it's a free-flowing, trust-the-process kind of a way which is so different than every other podcast I've ever done. <laughs> so then I just went into that space inside of myself, right? Like what's in here? Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah, be it be it just be in that space. So then, welcome to the podcast, Sandra. I'm really grateful to have you here. Um as I was just saying to you, I know you've been a close friend of my mother's for a while and I was just going back and looking at at some emails I'd sent you which uh, I, I, it felt longer ago, but it was just in like May of 2021. And I still had in my signature, I still had like postdoctoral fellow in my like signature. And I still, and I was asking you questions about insurance and like, how do you do that? Cause I was, I could I, emotionally, I, it took me right back to where I was this process of like, oh my God, what am I going to call myself? How am I going to balance? How am I going to, is, uh, am I going to get in trouble? And um, your all of your responses just had this beautiful frequency and this energy. And at the end, it was basically just like, I see you standing, something like I see you standing with clarity and, and confidence in your intuition. And, uh, and I'm just like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm there some days. I'm not there every day, but yeah. I'm there more days than... More days than not, I guess I'll say, and and certainly more days than I was then. So I've always very much appreciated that that support. And uh, just a couple years later, I'm happy to 
happy to be sitting with you here having this having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and as I was listening to you, I, I was remembering that, you know, I'm finishing up this part of my life and I'm trying to figure out how it's supposed to look. And and actually, when I read your emails, I, I remember that place in, in myself. And so I think as I listened to what you you reflected, I said, Dan, I didn't even remember what I said. All I know, if I, w- if I were to look at it now, is what I was feeling was sort of a what would I need to hear if I, you know, what would I like somebody to say to me when I was in a similar place, right? Um, because I'm a psychologist, but I've lived my whole life as a deeply spiritual person. That's just the way my family is. And so all this way of trying to figure out how do all these things fit together, I understood that part of the journey and also understood that you know, the world doesn't always create space for us to to have to be all of us. Right. I understand that from many perspectives. So um, I think when I responded to you, um, I was responding to that, like the person in me, too, who understood that, who's felt that and thinking, what would I need to hear to help me know that you know, my place in the world is, is all set, right? Like, like I get to own it. I get to be in it. I get to grow with it. I get to mold it. Um, and to be absolutely okay with it. Right. So I'm, I'm glad you rem- reminded me of what I said. <laughs> that, and I think, see, see, I actually also think that's the beauty of relationship, right? Because you're, you know, you're in a relationship, you know, whether it's a, a an email or a phone call or whatever, or we're doing this podcast. It, you know, the beauty of it is that there's this reciprocity, right? So you're reaching out to me, but you're also giving me this opportunity to find something in myself as I respond, right? So this this movement of energy between us, whether it's moving through an email or across this you know, this virtual space um, is guiding both of us to be our full self. Um, And I, you know, that's actually the gift that I get from hearing you remind me of that email that, you know, dang, Sandra, you really are being your full self in the world. Like, because you forget, I just own that. I forget. Because um, sometimes I'm just like the person who got to grade the papers and, oh, mama needs this. And, oh, I need to make sure. Right. So to be reminded of the energy, the force behind the doing. I love that. It's it's a lovely way of putting it because I, I was actually just talking about this with, with someone else, too, uh, that these kinds of relationships, the really aligned relationships what they do most is they help us remember. They help us remember our truth. They reflect back to us what we're mirroring into the world. They they bring us into, and and sometimes what's reflected back is not always a part that we want to see. But but when it's when it's aligned and it's really for our own growth and and support, uh, sometimes we get reflected back that that part of us that that was just always holding the light that um, mm. Mm. that we needed to see in that moment. And, and I, I, I'm sure you experienced that with clients and I experienced that with, with clients and, and whatever, family and friends and, and people I interview on this podcast. Like, that's really the reason I do this is to remember, is to like, is, you know, 
to learn about myself through the eyes of others and uh, to learn about others in the process. So I love the way you you frame that. And yes, your journey, there are, there are so many parallels. Um, and it, it hits deep when you say that, yeah, the world does not always make space for us. And um, we all navigate that in different ways, some with, with much different you know, uh, identities and, and ways that are reflected back. But for, for a lot of us, if we're really, if we're saying yes to the highest truth within us, it's usually going to have to be us that's creating that space because no one else is going to be able to see it, not see it, not see it perfectly or not see it at all. And, um, one, uh, title I heard for you, I heard from you recently. Uh, I think I read this in an email and I think my mother mentioned it as well was, um, calling yourself a weaver. Mm. And, uh, and I like that. And so I'd love to just, to just weave that title to, into a question of asking you how you started to, uh, create your own space, create your own space for yourself, uh, including the many, uh, teachings and practices and modalities that I know you've come to, to integrate and love. And, you know, I, um, if you could just take me back to some of the earliest influences of, of that spiritual core that, that led you and how it started to weave together. The first image that came to my mind when you asked me about being a weaver was being 12 and being bullied because I was one of the kids in the eighth grade who got to go be a class monitor while the teacher took their break. And it was a, it was a privilege because if you were doing okay in school, like then, you know, you got the privilege. Like if you were like, oh, your grades are really good. You could do it. But I had the sixth grade and some of the guys in the sixth grade were kind of hostile. So I remember kind of being in the corner for a while and saying, oh, I don't like being here. They're saying mean things. And, you know, most people sit at the desk and I was just standing in the corner. And then something inside me said, no, you get to sit at the desk. You do not need to stand in the corner. And that was when I actually started this feeling of like this idea that I get to take up space. I think that's when it started to brew, right? It started, it reached the point of me facing a demon, right? The meanness in the boys who were like saying mean things and saying, no, I get to be me. And that, you know, this is actually something I earned. I actually earned this, this opportunity. So pop back to one of those places in life when I started to recognize that, that we, we have to own and create our own space. And that's just a 12 year old girl thinking, okay, I got to deal with these bullies somehow. And then I just eventually over the, the course of that year, I, I became more verbal and I spoke back to them. And literally within a year after that or so, my mother took us to our first spiritual teacher. Now, this is an interesting spiritual teacher because this is our first meditation teacher. She was an intuitive, um, a medium who often um, would tell you about ancestors or spirits who were around, who were coming to bring you a message. And um, she spent, she was a Christian minister, but she spent summers on an ashram. So every service ended with her chanting Aum. <laughs> oh. So she was my first experience. I think I, I didn't even realize this until much later in life that I was, I was drawn to these different traditions. And I was like, oh, shoot, I actually grew up like this. <laughs> so that was kind of that. I look when I look back on it now, I had these role models for it. Uh, and my mom, um, you know, 
she went, we went to a Baptist church and we went to Catholic school. My bro- She told my brother and I, we could decide how we wanted to be baptized. So we chose to be Catholic. So my mom said, all right, I'll be baptized too. So this kind of weaving way of living, right, has been like a seed that was planted pretty early. And now as I see myself growing um, and, and shaping my own space in the world, I I incorporate many things. I, I I just I love. Sometimes I call them Earth philosophies, um, because they're about our connection to the world around us, not just like to the things that we purchase, but to the trees and to the the frequencies of nature that are always there, right? There that are in the universe, that are in in the water. So for me, um, studying these traditions is is a part of me understanding how to be me and also how to help other people be their whole self. So I like I'm, I tend to be drawn to things that are about the light in that person and the light in me and nurturing it and just finding ways to get past the chatter in your mind sometimes to be settled in the light. Knowing that it, all those bumps, like the, the, the mean boys in the, in the, when I was in the eighth grade, were a part of me figuring out how do I massage the, the negative energy to turn it into what I needed to be to go on my journey. So I would say that for me, the weaving is about how do I massage all the energies and, and, and meld them into something and, you know, crosshatch them into something that feels like space to be me. And that's what I want. Like even, even teaching college students, um, the same thing. I'm looking at how do I get these kids to see that? Yes, you might be the student who's like working a job and going to school and you got something going on at home, but you are not those things. There is so much more to you. So I tend to be drawn to those traditions that help me keep seeing the person as more than their circumstances. You are not your circumstances. There is this, um, I once heard John O'Donohue, um, it's it's on being interview, and he said he'd read something from a, a, a teacher, and he took one of the things he took from it was you are not your biography. So this idea that we are not our circumstances, but that our circumstances are ways or, or literally pools of energy we can use to be more of ourselves. I love that. And um, it, it sounds like from an early age and and uh likely from your mother's influence there was always there was always an integration happening there was always a bridging like you went to a christian minister and they were also an intuitive and a medium and you know integrating om and ashram experience like and that was just your experience you know you didn't you didn't know that that was some kind of melding that was just it sounds like, you know, would you describe your mother as, as being uh, open in that way, clearly? And clearly, like, just, you know, going with the flow and allowing and allowing her kids to lead her own uh, pursuits of, of spiritual traditions. Yeah, uh, that, that, when I look back on that now as an adult, I think, wow, that was kind of radical because in our neighborhood, which literally four generations of my family lived in that neighborhood, um, people went to the local Baptist or Met- Methodist church and every kid got baptized in the church. But my mother made this decision that she would not baptize us when we were little, that she would give us a chance to decide. I do not know where 
And why my mama came up with that, I have no idea. Maybe that's part of the reason my brother and I chose her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but that's what she said. And so she would. We would have to go to church every Sunday, and sometimes my mother worked on Sundays, but. We would have to get up, get dressed, go to Sunday school, and we could walk. It was literally down the street. And my great-grandmother lived like right across the street from church. So we'd walk down the street, go to Sunday school, then go to church, and then walk back home. And um, she expected us to have a, what she called a spiritual foundation. That was important to her. That if you have that, then you can build anything. That was really literally what my mother expected. That she that was her belief. You got a spiritual foundation, you can build anything. So I don't even she she was going to this church every Wednesday and sometimes on Sunday. And I was like, where are you going? I'm going out here to this church, you know, da da da. She said something about the minister that made me go like, huh? I said, I want to go. <laughs> so I went, my brother and I went, and then we took meditation classes and actually if you if you think about it her goal was to help us discover our spiritual gifts yeah right that was that was the teacher's goal like everybody has spiritual gifts and so this class is really about you uncovering them so you know you're sitting there and you're meditating and there's a point in the class where she'll you know she'll go around and ask you know so what do you see or what do you hear <laughs> Like at first, you're like, and and how old were you when you took this class? 13. I was thirteen. Wow. My brother was eight. So wow. So I was like, see, I'm like, you're the one who sees. <laughs> I don't see a thing. <laughs> like, and then after a while, right? I'm like, one day I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, I see lights, and I could tell like the colors that I saw, and I could right. And then from there, right. You know, we just kept moving, recognizing that. And she asked talk, told us about different kinds of mediums, clairaudient, clairvoyant, clairvoyant. She talked about different planes of consciousness all the way up to this celestial plane. Like, and we had to tell her these. We had That was part of what we learned every week. Wow. I wish I took a class. I, I wish I didn't have to go to Hebrew school and I was doing this stuff. And it's so interesting because it felt really normal. It didn't feel like any she was doing anything odd or different. But looking back on it now, like there weren't many ki kids in the neighborhood coming, you know, to that class. And I'm just really drawn to that, that idea that, that you chose this ancestral lineage, you chose your mother to honor that, that freedom and sovereignty. You know, you still had to, um, you know, follow some, some traditions, but within those traditions, you had so much room to, to honor what your, your true desire was, what your, heart was really guiding you to and you know so your mother instilled uh this idea or created this opening for a spiritual foundation but whatever that looked like was totally up to you and it sounds like you've continued to honor that in the sense that you've explored many modalities but it doesn't sound like any one modality defines you they're all just tools to honor the light within, which you might say is that foundation, that foundation of light. And any any modality or tool that can uh, support or scaffold that is useful. Yeah. And there's probably like um, the sense of my, an my connection to my ancestral heritage is a thing that grounds me most. That that like I know I'm, I always have this line that I can that supports me in this journey and that I trust that line and I trust what I learned from that line. So 
you know, there could be a time I'm sitting here and I'm, and you'll, and I'll hear my grandmother's voice say, oh, Lordy. Right. And I'm like, sometimes I'll hear myself say it because I, that feeling of those words and her connection to her spirit or like what I felt from her when she said that is the feeling I need in that moment to help me move to the next moment. Right. So that, you know, it's like you have your skeleton and you get to dress it up however, right? And you can change the clothes on it. It can actually wear two different things, right? You can put plaids and stripes together and it still works. I had an aunt who used to say, my father's not his younger sister, but next to the younger sister. They actually called her baby sister because she was the first girl after three boys. And so she was a master like designer and she could, you, I could give her the shirt and say, can you make me another one just like it? She would just cut it out and make it. But she used to say, look, you know, I'm trying to ask her, what am I going to wear? What, how am I going to look? And she'd say, look, it doesn't have to match. It just has to go together. So you're trying to find, oh, this is this red color right here. She, she's like, look, it doesn't have to match. It just has to go together. So that feeling, right, that, that it has, it goes together. So, so that's, and that's my father's sister, right? So I got my mama and I got my auntie. And in fact, and like, I just looked at this in the, in the opening of my book, when I talked about having one of those moments when I was off rhythm, uh, when my aunt got sick, I was like, all, all of a sudden I'm getting this call. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not at that point. Right. And I, re- what I remembered about her was how she taught me to create my own understanding of normal because it doesn't have to match. It just has to go together. I love that. It doesn't have to match. It just has to. I mean, that is my life. I do not match. I do not match. But but that's that's creating our own space, right? It's like, oh, the world doesn't think this matches, but I'm going to show you that it goes together. It goes together. And I'm going to show you that it creates something new that you've never seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it, yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like you just had a very strong maternal lineage. It also sounds like you got some influence, some female influence from your father's side too, but I mean, that idea of being able to grow up really like around in that community of your ancestors is so powerful. So that that cord, you know, and so not just not just when the ancestors cross over to the, and, and they're guiding us from the other side, but you got to experience that in the physical realm that uh, you got to sort of be in that reservoir. Um, did Did anyone else have that kind of spiritual curiosity or openness that your mother had or did that feel kind of new to you? Oh, the, the, the openness and curiosity is, is definitely my mother, that I can't think of another family member who had that level of willingness to explore, right? Always knowing her anchor, you know, her anchor was her Christian upbringing, right? But always also open. She was also the person in our family who was a major, she talked, we go to different people's house, family members' houses. And she will be the one talking about Black history or about, you know, the fact that we have African origins, which is something most people are taught to forget, right? So she talked about these African origins, and it was not until much later in life that I learned my paternal, my maternal grandfather's mother um, was an herbalist in that same community. Like literally that's now a part of like what they talk about at family reunion is that she was an herbalist and indeed her, her grandmother and her, fa- her father 
I believe we're enslaved because she'd probably be something like 115 years old now, right? So they were enslaved and they were brought from somewhere in Nigeria. I don't know exactly where, but she ended up learning all these things probably from that part of her line, herbal treatments. And so she was like a community herbalist, uh, which I never knew. <laughs> but I would say my mom would be the one who uh, in my family who talked about spirituality and who talked about our connection to Africa. So then that also put me in. So by the time I was a, I don't know, was I maybe a sophomore in college or something when I started taking African dance classes and my brother took drumming classes. So, but that was her always seeding that idea that we have this connection to this continent and that that's a good thing because we're not usually taught us a good thing. We're taught us not a good thing. So her saying that's a good thing, then that became a way we explore. So, And I know that one of the modalities that you've explored is uh, Yoruba, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And was that, was the discovery of that through this, um, uh, or interest in it through this ancestral connection to Africa? I'm not sure if it comes from Nigeria, but... Yeah, yeah, um, it's Nigeria. Yeah. So how, yeah. so did that develop out of some of this ancestral connection or how did you discover that? Actually, the, um, the first introduction to it was taking a class in anthropology as a college student. And then I joined this dance troupe and there were several people who were from that tradition. And so the first, and then they would actually, because they would actually give people names from their culture. So there were some people from Ghana, there were some people from Nigeria, different cultural groups. And so that was the first time someone gave me a name that was from an African tradition. This was Yoruba tradition. Now, not until many years later, literally, I want to say this was like 2011, right? I met this, um, this Babalao who, who is like a, a priest in the Yoruba tradition. And um, it's literally pretty much means father of the mysteries, Babalao, right? And he did, he used to do these readings that sort of helped you understand your family line. And when he traced my line, he actually traced part of my line back to Benin, which is next door to Nigeria. But of course, you know, those lines aren't really created by the people who are, you know, that's their birthplace. Those lines are created by other kinds of, you know, systems impinging on the people. So you'll see similar parts of similar traditions, spiritual traditions across these lines. Like you literally, you can just go across the West Coast and you'll find like pretty much the same traditions. So there's Benin. And so he says to me, yeah, so your family line, one of your, through your father traces back to Benin, to these people that he called the Gede V or the children of Gede. Now Gede, um, is the deity who is known to govern and to oversee people's burials to make sure that their burial goes well. So he, and one of the things he said is, Gede buried the first person who ever died in the world, right? That's the, that's the right? So literally, Gede knows every person because Gede takes care of their burial. And then he starts to describe the people. He says, they like hot food, they like to drink. I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm like, this is the first time I ever met this guy. And he literally was describing my grandfather. My grandfather's food was so, my grandfather's the reason I will put, I, I learned to eat black pepper because we would sit at the table on Sunday breakfast and he would take the black pepper shaker and his grits, we ate grits, right? They would, they would be black. <laughs> I don't know 
was like, he really likes this. So I finally asked my grandmother, could I try it? So she put a little bit. And this is how I started liking hot food. My grandfather could eat food so hot that when he cooked on like 4th of July, he'd make barbecue and he'd make barbecue sauce. My grandmother said to him, look, you have to make another barbecue sauce because nobody can eat that sauce you eat. You have So he had to make like two different batches because nobody could eat it that hot. But hot like spicy, hot like spicy, hot like spicy, yeah, 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 yeah. like spicy hot, like make your nose run, make your, <laughs> yeah. bite, make your yeah. eyes water, cry that. And so <laughs> when I meet this, this man, you know, many, many years later, he's doing these readings, you know, ancestral readings. And I'm like, so did you, what did you just say? And I'm like, my grandfather has been dead a year for many years. But he literally was describing my grandfather and what he said. So those kinds of like connections started, you know, when I was young, but then it just kept growing. And I will say to you that my introduction to the Yoruba tradition, as a child, I sang this song. We sang the song of the Christian tradition. Jesus loves me. This I know. And so you have this this guidance that God loves you all of your life. But it was not until. I experienced the Yoruba tradition that I actually felt it inside. I like knew what it meant to feel God's love, like literally like to light up with love inside and to feel that flow out of me first time ever. I feel like I'm getting a sense of the weaving because it's amazing. Like you had, you had the ancestral roots, which, you know, literally just came from like the physical home environment, but then you go off and you explore education and you're taking an anthropology class and an African dance class and it starts to lead you back to the ancestral wisdom but through the exploration and you end up you know meeting some guy in Africa and he's telling and it and it just draws these linkages and these bridges back to what was already there at birth but we sort of learn through our own discovery and exploration I feel like that's how we it's all cyclical we get connected back to what to, to remember, right? Like we're just, we're remembering through the exploration and discovery of new tools that light us up and you were just following your heart and that's what guided you. So yeah. I love that. Um, and I'm sure there's so much to say. We could probably spend the whole podcast talking about the Yoruba tradition. Um, I'll just ask, what what could you say about that tradition that, I mean, you mentioned, and that's the other thing about being able to sort of anchor in the light that you may be heard conceptually from another tradition, but we all have entryways that help us feel it. Like, oh, that's what they were saying. I never got it. But through this experience, now, you know, I was raised in a Jewish tradition, never really resonated with that. And I wasn't sure I believed in God. I was like, am I Jewish if I don't believe in the, I don't really get how that works. Um, and then there was psychology. And, you know, I got psychology more, but I didn't necessarily feel feel psychology. Psychology is, even though it's about emotions, I'm not sure how much of a feeling uh, experience it is. Not until I started exploring really out there, you know, meeting with intuitives. I'm like, oh, this is trauma healing. This is what they meant. This is what I was learning all about that I was pretending to know about. This is what it feels like. Okay. Um, so there's that. There's clearly that integration. Is there anything else from the Yoruba tradition that um, is that you feel is really functional and integrative now for you that you could speak to in 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 the weaving? Yeah, the the um definitely the connection to your own ancestral line, right? That your ancestors are always with you. 
But I will say the other thing, when you talk about like that connection to psychology, in Europe, a tradition, there's a concept called Ori. So it's some, some people would call it your divine head, your divine nature. Um, so that ultimately there's a part of you and it has a destiny. And so this Ori, you come into the world with this destiny that you've chosen. So you've, you've chosen this destiny. You haven't like decided, like, it wasn't like you got here and somebody said, okay, here's your destiny, right? You literally, you know, in this spiritual realm, because, you know, African traditions are much more circular developmental cycle. So there's ancestral realm and you can come back into birth and you go through and then you become an ancestor and then you can actually come back. So it's more circular, right? So this whole idea that you come with this destiny and that every being in heaven witnesses it and that knows what you're coming for. So there, it's, it's a fairly complex system, but just to know that there are all these deities and all these uh, mates and guides who are there witnessing and will support you as are your ancestors. So the fact that you come with a destiny, I think is one of the most um, crucial and the most important pieces of that tradition for me. And I would say the other is that the belief is that human beings, there's a the whole set of scriptures called the Odu. So when somebody divines, um, uh, an in initiated person divines, they're reading the Odu, the sacred text. And one of those texts says, those chosen to bring good into the world are called human beings. And that human beings will go back and forth between heaven and earth until everybody has reached the good condition that God has ordained for all beings, right? This place where, you know, there's joy, right? <laughs> you know, and so what does it take to get to the good condition? One of the things is to make every effort to create good so that no good at all is ever lost, right? So that commitment to creating a better world and seeing human beings as essential to that process and that this going back and forth is all about making it better, growing it, expanding the good, and knowing that you have a destiny are the things that um, just keep me centered in this life, right? Like, okay, there's a reason I'm in it. I know I'm here. And it just can keep me coming back right when I'm off track because my mind will take me off track. I'm just guaranteeing you. Like just let too many, too many little annoyances happen. It's like, okay, wait, 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 wait. What am I here for? But then, you know, to have the grounding to be able to come back, I would say that's, those are the pieces that I love to share with people. It really sounds like the Yoruba tradition helped create some of that foundation, which it lights up my body when I hear you speak about it because it's a very similar foundation that has been cultivated within me that I've discovered or sort of intuited um, or received through other frames, but that, you know, we come here for a reason that the soul, if we want to call it that, chooses this destiny to play out for a reason, for our own growth, for our own learning, for our own contribution to the light. And, you know, I, I've been really interested in a lot of uh, NDEs, like near-death experiences. 
And all these people are saying that same, like, yeah, you go. I mean, it definitely depends probably on the belief system that was cultivated in the person based on what they see on the other side. But a lot of it is like, yep, you're surrounded by your ancestors. And, and this, and that cyclical or circular nature of that tradition uh, is likely um, more accurate to what time really is. Because we pretty much all know that time is not a linear structure. That's just a conditioning that helps our human minds process it. But when you hear anyone talk about being on the other side, it's like, yeah, no, it's happening all at once. It's, it's happening all at once. Your ancestors are there. Your past selves are there. Your future selves are there. You're looking at all the timelines and incarnations play out. So there we're likely tapping into a truer nature of time in that way. And that idea that, you know, it, it makes, when you talk about destiny, it makes me, um, think about, you know, that question of destiny and free will, which to me, uh, they're not mutually exclusive. Like we come here to play out the free will of our destiny in the sense that it's written uh, in the sands of of something that we are not meant to see. If, if, we, if we were meant to see it, it would kind of screw up the whole game, the whole illusion that we're playing here. We need to discover the destiny. We need to sort of discover what the writing on the wall was. And then when we get there, we're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's everything I did. I, I thought I was, you know, thought I was making those choices. And in some way we are, but it's, we're like aligning. And it's just like you said, the mind can bring you off track. And that's, you know, for me, this process of cultivating discernment, like how do I continue to stay in alignment with what's in the heart, uh, with what is not just what I would call sort of the trauma conditioning or or the the punishing beliefs or the or the limitations and how do I keep going toward that light and and I think that foundation of what you were invited into when you were young and what you continue to discover if anything starts to cultivate that compass of how you just like discern is this going to be of my light is this going to be of my highest service and um it took me took me a little while to start to discern what kind of things were serving me and yeah. serving my light and what were not. But once you start to cultivate that or discover that foundation, mm. it really feels um, like everything else can can fall into place, even through the challenges and, and the opportunities that do not feel so good because, you know, it can all be kind of like you said, churned up or transmuted into a medicine that just furthers the destiny uh, and furthers mm -hmm. the light. So um, following or alongside um, the Yoruba medicine, what are some of the, uh, and, and there's obviously psychology as well, but um, what were some of the other uh, modalities or medicines or lineages that that spoke to you along this this weaving process yeah as i was listening to you and thinking about destiny i'll say one of the other traditions that um that helps me weave is a uh, bagara tradition which is burkina faso um i think the most well-known person one of the most well-known people from that culture would be maladoma Somme, who wrote a book called of water and the spirit and um, his former wife, who they they both passed into the ancestral realm now, but she wrote a book called Spirit of Intimacy, Ancient Teachings in the Ways of Relationships. So in this culture, they have a five element system, very similar to Chinese medicine. 
it, which is interesting to me because the way they draw the medicine wheel and the placement of the of the five elements is pretty much the exact same direction and the way that you would see them if you were putting the five elements in direction in the Chinese system. So they say that each of us chooses, right, the the place we're born into. The 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 the, the last digit of your birth year tells you which element you're born into, similar also again to Chinese, right? And those elements help you to discover your purpose. So I happen to be a mineral person. And mineral people are essentially, the mineral element is where purpose lives. It's in your bones, right? It's deep inside of you. That's that's how they describe it. And so in Simone Fusome's book, Spirit of Intimacy, she talks about this whole idea of being born to a purpose. And that that has helped me in my work in my life in so many ways, because when I'm helping someone do purpose work, which is my f- absolute favorite work to do, like, let's, let's, let's do that every day, all day. You mean h- helping people discover their purpose? Yeah, right. And I would say uncover. Uncover, yep. Is this whole idea that you have this like ball of energy that we call a purpose, and it's really not limited to your career. That thing is so infinite. Like if you just start to discover the infinite nature of it, you'll see how it shows up in your family. It shows up right in the community projects you choose. It shows up in the way you care for yourself. So if you could just get in there and feel the sense of that purpose, then you'll like you start to see more possibility in your life and you start to feel more in yourself. So so that would be a tradition that I say is one of the ones that guides me because it's also about relationship and how relationship helps you discover yourself and how to work with understanding that each of us has a light in us. So oftentimes when we're like upset with someone, we, 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 we lost the light, right? But if we can see the light, it gives us a little bit more space to try to navigate across the challenges. So I would say that Daggera tradition is another one. I mentioned Chinese medicine. I study Chinese medicine. I do Qigong every day. <laughs> Every day, if if I'm not doing like a full Qigong practice, you know, I, I even do it in my um, like say I'm riding in the car. There are little things you can do just like. Right. Or um, I was listening to some people this morning talking about how they take a breath before they present. If I ever get nervous, there's a Qigong based breath that I learned. It's like, yeah, just I'm, I'm just going to do this right because you can do it even you, it's so private that nobody has to know you're doing it. You know, you can just get calm. You can be right there in a space where you're nervous and then just transform into calm. So I would say that Qigong is Chinese medicine principles because Qigong is rooted, you know, both in the sort of healing arts, but it's also a very spiritual art. So ultimately what you're understanding is that you're energy, you're an energy being and that everything, you know, literally is energy, right? It's just, there's mass and there's energy. If you like, they're interchangeable. So um, that's, those are the practices. And then most recently, yoga nidra. Yeah. So we're going to talk about yoga nidra because I know that um, <laughs> yeah. uh, has become very powerful for you. Um, yeah. And I know a little bit about it, but, I, and where does the uh, Dagara uh, tradition come from? Uh, Burkina Faso, um, West Africa, so just a little bit north of Ghana. Oh, yeah, Burkina. Oh, okay, it's West very Africa. Far. If you yeah, ever Burkina feel Faso. like you want to read, you know, you want to hold a book and read it, um, 
I would definitely recommend Of Water and the Spirit and Spirit of Intimacy. They are they are two of my favorite books. And Spirit of Intimacy is like it's so short, you know, but these little bits of wisdom that like spark you, spark you. Yeah. And I feel like that's what all of this is. It's discovering the things that help us remember our own light. And it's not even necessarily about the content. It's just about where it lights us up. And it's like, oh, that feels good. That that feels in alignment with the compass. And um, yeah, I resonate so much with this idea of how your spiritual foundation has been cultivated because it's so much about how it's been cultivated in me. I mean, it took me a little while to relinquish the attachments to how we define ourselves to like, oh, career, like, you know, when I, I never felt like I knew who I was, but you know, I had these abilities, I had these gifts. I didn't really see them that way. I saw them as sensitivities and they brought me a lot of pain and stuff. But then through like psychology, it was like, okay, kind of an identity building and I could be this, I could be, you know, this like psychoanalytical like type therapist person. But I, the more I tried to conform to that, actually, the more constricted I felt. And it wasn't until I got to like explode out of that really through pretty painful invitation but like it, it got me out of there to like like st don't forget your light like your uniqueness your mm. cultivation of the foundation that is not defined by any so-called career any practice any title any label um and it, it can be a i mean i didn't necessarily feel that invitation to create the foundation when i was a kid so it can be pretty scary when you're you know, whatever, late 20s, early 30s, and you're like, okay, now I'm stripping away the things that I was grabbing to. But you kind of need to if you don't have the foundation underneath. Like, I didn't have anything underneath. All I had was kind of fears and mm -hmm. unprocessed trauma and stuff. I needed to go into that to be and clear stuff out to be like, all right, we're kind of, we're creating the foundation now because there's no more, I, I cannot continue to layer things on top of this feeling of, emptiness and not belonging and unworthiness like i need to start creating the foundation and um and i love that you mentioned qigong because i mean i haven't studied uh qigong specifically but a huge part of my foundation is what i would call energy medicine and it's just coming to the idea of energy and like you know if a different word works for you that's great but energy seems like a good word to describe this force the force of life that moves through us, whether we call it chi or prana um, or whatever. And that was such a big part of my own healing journey, um, discovering various modalities. I've talked about a lot on this podcast, like uh, network spinal analysis and more recently pranic healing. But it's all just about, for me, it's understanding the flow, the chi, and for me, you know, the chakras and just having a different frame to see the 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 human vessel through um yeah. and not be so attached to the physical like the physical is important for sure we're all playing that out but that there's other ways to i think what it does is with a foundation of energy it loosens our attachments to what's happening just based on the physical like oh, there's physical pain, that must mean there's something wrong, or that must mean I need a medical intervention or diet. And it's like, well, okay, what if there's this other perspective of energetic flow that through different, really non-invasive means, and like, just like you said, having a private, private moment to breathe before, like there's other ways to just 
um, unlock something within you that is not just about like caffeine intake or a five-hour energy. Like it's about something so much more powerful where you could be sick in bed and the next moment you could just be divining with this, communing with this energy. And that um, that has just unlocked something in me on my journey that that started to help me transcend things like diagnoses or or physical ailments and and just just see a different uh vision and i really feel that uh in the years to come is going to be one of the biggest entryways to spirituality because um you know in the in the uh the field of western sciences you know the front lines of trauma is all about the nervous system now and you know nervous system science and you know, what are they really, what are they creeping toward? They're creeping toward energy. They're creeping toward energetic flow. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it like regulation and dysregulation or we'll call it all oh, this like, okay, but what is the nervous system? Sounds like an energetic system to me that they're creeping toward. And I feel like at some point there's gonna be some uh, more quote unquote evidence that helps us, our Western minds integrate uh, the truth of yeah. that as a huge, as a huge foundation because it's been uh, really foundational to me. Okay, so... Let's uh, let's hear a little bit about yoga nidra. How you can? I mean, so so this is a, a specific um, aspect of yoga. I'm sure your uh, yogic journey started before yoga nidra, but 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 ultimately led you to this this particular practice. Yeah, my yoga journey probably also started as a teenager. Um, and then um, when my father was dying, my brother was doing hot yoga at the time, and we were just trying to survive the experience, right? So we would leave the hospital and go to hot yoga class. So that, and that actually, that hot yoga was what saved me when I burned out. I was like, yeah, um, can't go back to work. Well, I can go to yoga. I'm going to do that, right? And what, um, what were you doing at the time? What, what kind of work? Teaching. Teaching, teaching so, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the int- you know, the love for yoga and, you know, as a physical practice has been there for a while. And just that ability literally to just go through the physical experience of stretching, right? Stretching it out, stretching it out, working with it, feeling, you know, where you need to balance yourself in a posture. All those things take you deeper inside of understanding how you need to navigate what's happening inside of you, right? So the yoga practice for me was both external and internal, right? Um, And then our friend Nancy came to town one day. She said, yo, I'm going to be in your town. I'm going to this yoga ninja class. I'm like, what's that? She's like, oh, it's a meditation. And I said, let me look it up. I said, okay, I'm coming. Right. I went to the class and I was like, wait, 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 Nancy, what just happened? Um, I heard the lady talking to me and I was going through this journey in my body and I got on this elevator. And next thing I know, she was saying, okay, come back and the elevator doors open. You're in the room now. I'm like, so where was I? Now, what it reminded me of was the depth of a journey that I took in a Trinidadian tradition. Like I'm talking about all these different traditions, um, but they had they have this very deep like meditation process, right? Which people don't know. They know Trinidad for like you know steel steel pans, right? But there's a very deep spiritual tradition, right? So I was like Nancy for 45 minutes. I was like somewhere else. And then I came back and I remember bits and pieces of what I saw, but like, I'm, and I'm rested and I'm good. Okay. So that's, that started it. And then I started looking for teachers and, you know, finding teachers and looking for possibilities for training. 
And um, one of the people that she actually told me about was a psychologist, Richard Miller, who um, studied in India. I think he studied in India. And then eventually, you know, between his pulled together this whole system he calls IRS, you know, built, you know, IRS Yoga Nidra. And that actually, believe it or not, is one probably one of the most researched, you know, modal ways of, you know, practicing yoga nidra, showing the whole trauma reduction, depression, symptom relief, anxiety relief, all that, right? So if anybody's looking for data, Richard Miller has plenty, right? Um, but then I've found some others since then. And uh, most recently connecting with Tracy Stanley as a teacher and a mentor. And her way of teaching it is embodying the practice. So you learn something, but you, similar to my Qigong teacher, you don't teach anything until you really practice it for a while. You practice it, you work with it, you feel it, you get to know it from the inside of you. And I just love that way of teaching. So it's the um, only way I feel. It's the I, only way. <laughs> right. Got it. Right. You know, just feeling it. Right. Just feeling the teaching. Um, it's it's what I try to get my college students to do too. Like, okay, so you've read these words, but like, what do they mean to you? Do they remind you of any people? Do they remind you of any experiences? There's some way you can make these words come alive. So now I see it right as such a beautiful practice to help people who are caught up in what has been referred to as the rat, the rat race, the hustle culture, the causal lifestyle, that if you just kind of learn how to reset yourself and what the practice it, itself does for me is because I can get into this deep rest, I also, you know, when I'm not in it, I know what it feels like. So then I start to say, oh, okay, how can I get closer to it? What can I do now? One small step that would give me more of this deep rest. And as a psychologist, I know, you know, that the science is that deep rest is where we get the most, our, our nervous system resets itself. That's, that's where we get the best nervous system resetting in, right? So that practice for me, there's so many levels to it. Like we could be here until next week. But what I will say is that um, it's taught me a lot about being comfortable in a space that doesn't hold anything except you being aware of the space and your willingness to allow things to come up and pass, pass away, to recognize that things are always changing and that I don't have to get stuck in this moment and I can actually shift. So I think. That's probably one of the biggest gifts. And so what I love about that is, firstly, that it seems like that became, firstly, what I love about you is that it's clear that you are a seeker through and through and you never stop discovering because once you get that title, once you become a psychologist, once you become whatever label you were chasing and you call it a career, sometimes the doors close and you're like, no, nah, I don't need any more modalities. I just spent five, 10 years doing this thing. And so this must be it. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of pot committed. So even though I have all this pain and stuff, like I probably shouldn't seek outside. And that's what I was finding at the clinic I was at is I did not feel there was at least the kind of uh, discovery uh, that I needed. And I was, you know, I had a stronger, but you know, 
if I wasn't as sick as I was, I may not have continued seeking. Um, so I honor people who don't feel the need to do it. But I was like, I need to keep discovering. Like I need to break through these boundaries of fear and limitation. And oh, I'll have to be, uh, maybe I'll, I'll have to start uh, at the beginning of something. And you know, my ego will be challenged. But the truth is, is like, when you find an aligned environment to learn in and to embody it, you get to heal. That's the gift is while you're, it's not like you just have to go through grad school over again, which I'll literally never do. But it's like, you know, you get to experience. That's what pranic healing was. I got to experience pranic. So it's like, I love that bit about learning a new modality is like you get to continue healing and feeling good. That's the whole idea. I'm just going to learn things that make me feel good and help me feel better. And then I can give that to other people like sign me up for that learn that kind of learning. Yeah. And so I love that that piece. And the piece about deep rest is um, that's clearly become an integral piece of your foundation and my foundation as well. And I came to it not necessarily through Yoga Nidra, but I think all modalities guide you back to the source. And part of the source in the human body is that this nervous system needs to rest and that it's been chronically turned on, ch uh, running away from tigers that aren't there. And like, we all need to learn. And as human beings, we all have these ideas about what relaxation is. And they're most of them are pretty off the mark, <laughs> a lot of them. And like, look, do things that light you up, do things that are fun, party, whatever. But, you know, cramming that kind of thing into a weekend and then being like, all right, that was my time for uh, restoration and also fun and whatever. And now I'll get back to the to the grind. Like, that's just not that system is failing and it has failed for a long time and it is continuing to fail. And out of that, there is a new paradigm of balance, of uh, creation, of uh, a rest and really um, divinely guided life path that I think your younger generations are just, they're not accepting the idea that, um, you know, deep rest only comes like in a little box and then you have to fit in all the other stuff too before you get back to quote unquote work like it. Our bodies just need it to be an integral. And for me, it was, you know, deep sickness. Like I, I could not keep doing what I was doing without a discovery of deep rest. And what I'll also say about that is like, because that word meditation is triggering for some people. It's like, oh, meditation? Nope, can't do that. But, you know, and I tried to do it for many years through an introduction of Buddhist philosophy. And frankly, I wasn't very good at it. And I mean, I, I and I went in like at five day silent retreats and stuff. But my mind, the way I would describe it now is my nervous system was so dysregulated. The, the thinking was so painful. There was, I didn't. I had so many defenses in my way. I didn't have the support of a a really nourishing practice to help me get there. You know, in more traditional Buddhist lineages like Vipassana, it, it's a little bit hard-edged. It's like, nope, you will just sit on that mat and you will do it for as long as you can. I don't care how much pain you're in. I don't care what comes up. Like, you just sit. And I was like, I, this is just not, this is, ain't it for me, okay? This is not my entryway. And I had moments of... uh peacefulness, but it wasn't enough. I wasn't excited to integrate it until you can discover other things like breath and um, and other kinds of just uh, modalities that scaffold that entryway into presence, which is really just what we're, we're just getting into presence. And then 
allowing it to reveal itself to us. Like whatever is meant to come up in the presence, whatever the, the constriction in the nervous system is holding on to, what can I be with? What can I move through? What can I learn from? What can I hear from? Who am I? What is the voice I've been listening to this whole damn time that I actually don't even like? And like just a practice that helps you do that. And if you want to call it meditation, great. But I think Yoga Nidra um, provides like a cushier entryway, it sounds like, where you can access that state of deep rest and, and discover um, without it feeling so um, hard-edged or without maybe too many too many rules. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say the other thing I like about, um, you know, my, my current mentor is this whole idea. She has a, a poem she wrote called The Householder's Prayer. And that basically whatever you are experiencing every day is an opportunity. There's an opportunity to rest. There's an opportunity to be at peace. So you look into your child's face and you see the beauty in their eyes, right? You're making dinner and you're seeing the nurturance and you're pouring love into this moment. You know, you might be stirring something, but in that stir, that movement, there's a love in there. So being able to, and this is what I say to people who are what we might call busy or have very full days, is to look for the spaces in your day. You can even do that with your breath, right? So we inhale and there's like this slight pause and we exhale. There's a slight pause and we inhale again, right? So those pauses, those spaces remind us that there's space, right? There's space in life. And when there's space, there's room to let go of the tension. There's room for it to spread out, to move through. Um, so I think one of the, the best things that, that I like to offer people is this small shifts. Like, where can you see just a little bit of space? Where can you see that I'm finishing this thing, I'm closing it down, and then I'm going to start this thing? There's like a small space in between there. So sometimes just that, just that kind of small shift in consciousness is where people can start. I don't think there's any, you know, when I went to my first yoga ninja class, I, I, I've been through practices like you, you know, you talk about five days, right? You know, we go somewhere, it's like, oh, you yeah, know, five days, you here, right? You know, seven days, you in this, right? So I was accustomed to like, Okay, we're gonna be on the, you know, we're gonna be on the mat. We're gonna be right. So and, and it's gonna be hard, and you're gonna suffer, you know, and you're gonna want to talk to someone, and you can't. <laughs> you know. So what? I mean, so it was fine to me that I was gonna go in this class, and there was gonna be this meditation, and it was like I don't know, the, the it was like maybe a forty-five minute or an hour event, right? So I was like, oh, okay, so we might be laying here for an hour. I don't know how long we be. Maybe she's gonna talk a little bit, and then we're gonna be laying here. So you know, for me, it was okay. But like for somebody who comes and they hear that like voice saying, no matter what, don't get yourself up, no matter what, right? Because even like, uh, you know, depending upon who's teaching you, they may tell you once you get into your position, don't move, just stay there, right? But like, no, sometimes you might have to move. You might have to shift. So yeah, that, that idea that you can always shift, <laughs> I think that's important. I just did not come here to follow anybody else's rules. That my, my soul imprint was like, oh, you're going to tell me what to do? All right, we'll see how that goes. And it didn't go well for me. I'll just say that personally. I had to learn 
I think they were fine. All the authority figures that I was punishing with my resistance, they were fine. It was me that was suffering and resisting until I was ready to honor. Oh, okay. I, I have to do things my own way, I, I guess. And that's scary, but, but I guess that's clearly what I came here to do on some level. And um, there is absolutely um, importance and value in will and like using our will to be like, all right, when you know, when it gets a little challenging or the mind gets in there and, you know, I'll use the example of, a, uh, you know, breath work, you know, the deep, the deep, deep breath work that I've been invited into that's been very powerful. It's like, you're at some point, you're going to feel like you want to stop breathing. Keep breathing, you know, just keep going. So it's, there are things like that where sometimes it's good to, to push it and it can, and people can have enlightening and awakening experiences at a five-day you know, silent retreat. So it's not to say that different structures don't work for different people, but it's also to say that if that structure was not working for you and you start to feel like a failure because you couldn't follow those rules, maybe there's another structure that's just going to create um, the algorithm or, or the mix of like, just stay in it and also let go, which is really the whole message of life like yeah stay in it keep doing it but also surrender <laughs> you know yeah you have free will but it's also all planned out it's like yeah. it's all paradoxical so you just gotta find the paradox that works for you find the paradox of like stay in it but let everything go <laughs> don't try to make too much sense of it but you may yeah. find something that you know one jacket may just fit a little better where it's like okay when i was just like out in the cold meditating for like 10 hours a day and i just had to do it you know I benefited from it in one way. And, and if anything, you'll just see your your strength and you'll see your resilience. But like maybe there's something else that will feel a bit more comfortable and just like invite me into to a different kind of dance. So that it all just, it all pieces together and it might look different on the service, but it's all inviting us into ultimately the discovery of the same truth. It's all mm -hmm. ultimately inviting us into just... uh a deeper discovery of ourselves and and what works to to honor this uniqueness because um there and that's the thing is like there's not going to be one modality that teaches you the truth about you it's just going to there's going to be lots of different things lots of different colors if you're willing to discover it that will just continue to show you you know how to go deeper within yourself how to unlock something and um it sounds like yoga nidra was was that for you and i i think i've done a class but i'm gonna i'm gonna look into that and uh and maybe maybe try that more myself because because i continue to discover and it, again it, i think i think the beauty of being a seeker is when you're ready to let go that discovering new tools, new modalities is not something for you to attach yourself to or for you to assume is just going to do all the healing for you. It's just things to continue to light you up and, and bring you deeper and, and bring you closer to, to that yeah. thing that we're all just uncovering inside. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think when we, all those discoveries help us expand, like, you know, when I was 13, I never had any thoughts that I was going to learn all these different things. Right. Um, but you see when you're in it, like if you're, you know, if you're building something, right, you're building your life, you can see how the next piece fits and how it helps the life grow bigger and, you know, your, your light to shine in your life. So 
those those discoveries are, you know, this 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 process is ongoing. So somebody looks at me now and they'll just might be like, what are you learning? You, what are you going to learn next week? <laughs> you know, they might, uh, but you know, they don't know the whole picture of how the thing like came, you know, they don't see like, you know, you talk about this, the ends and the outs of it. Right. And how, you know, eventually it became this. And then, you know, I still have this capacity for it to keep growing, but that's literally the nature of that's nature, right? You know, the tree that was in your backyard when you were 12, like if it's still there, it's, it's done some things. It's probably visiting the neighbors right about now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So that's the nature, right? We just keep, you know, we keep rooting and seeding and growing and expanding. So I like to think of those times of when we unlock something, right? It's like, like a seed bursting open and, you know, there's, there's now we, we get more sense of our possibility. And and we're, we're no different from that tree. Like we expand or on some level we die or because, because there's this natural intelligence that is continuing to expand within us. And if we, if, if we let the mind try to hold it, it just gets more and more, the nervous system gets more and more constricted and it starts to keep tightening and tightening. And then there's no, the idea of stuckness is, is, is not, it's an illusion because we're either expanding or we're constricting. It's just one or the other. So <laughs> there's always movement. It doesn't always feel good. But that's why for as long as we're here, we're continuously invited into circumstances of how to keep the flow, which is why I think the idea of safety has to be remodeled safety is not just like making sure you have enough things to make sure nothing changes like that's yeah. that's not reality reality on this <laughs> planet I, I, in this density at least in this level of in this illusion it's all changing it's all growing and expand and at higher levels maybe you know I, I don't know maybe it's chill but like but here it's not chill <laughs> it's like it's continuously moving so we can just find ways to flow with it and yeah. and keep the expansion uh, moving in a direction that aligns with that purpose, that divine yeah, yeah. purpose yeah. that we can't see, but we feel into. We feel it. We know it's there. And so um, at this point where you're at, um, how how is the expansion flowing through you? Like, where are you feeling? Is it still, you know, like, uh, are you really continuously diving into yoga nidra are there other things you're exploring and forgive me for not knowing what it is you teach is it psychology is it is it clinical psychology yeah i teach psychology and um african-american studies i okay. i um i i teach uh, a class called the black woman an introductory course and i teach i i started recently in the past few years teaching psychology of adjustment just because i was like there's a lot going on in the world and i can see the suffering in the students i said so I want to switch out of this class. Let me teach this because if I teach this, then it gives me some opportunity to sort of feel into what they're feeling and maybe teach them how to use what we're learning, you know, to help them have a little bit more space to feel peace in the world. So, yes, yeah, so I teach um, psychology. Yeah. For a little bit while longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's, it sounds like you've carved out um an integration of maybe some ancestral teachings some some identity teachings um and african-american studies mixed with the i mean because psychology is such a big um area right finding finding the 
the area within it that speaks to you, that delights you up, that you can feel like you can bring your truth to. Um, yeah. How do you? Uh, it sounds like you've been working within that that system uh, for a while. How how do you find you're able to continue navigating within? I, I'm not sure uh, what kind of in, uh, what kind of college institution it is that you work at, but mm -hmm. how do you? How are you able to to navigate that role? I, I'm speaking as someone who has, let's just say, struggled to work within institutions and systems. Yeah. So yes, I get that because, and I and I have to be honest. Like part of part of um, what happens when you grow up with, you know, you know, you're somebody looks at you and you know, oh, that's a brown skinned girl, right? So uh, I'm always knowing that I'm coming up against, right? So I know that I'm always going to be choosing. If I'm fighting a battle, I'm I'm just deciding that that's your battle, not mine. Um, so for me, being in spaces where, you know, I know there are going to be challenges already, then I'm going into that space thinking about how I want to show up. What is that I really want to do? What is the contribution I want to make? I mean, that's why I started teaching. I was like, I had this excitement about people going to college, there's something they want in their lives, there's a way they want to grow. Oh, this is so exciting. I can be a part of it. That's what excited me about it, right? The expansion. And, right? It's like, and seeing them discover like what they have to offer, that was, that's just like, like I could, I could watch that kind of thing all day. Um, but then, you know, there's also the bureaucracies and the million committees and the da 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 da, right? So you have to come to this place where you start prioritizing and you start looking at what pieces of how do you how do you just keep your sanity and yourself, not not just yourself, your small self, right? Like sort of your nervous system, you know, like the visible that people can see, but also your deeper self, your right. And then you just learn how to say no to some things. And you 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 just yeah, it becomes that, you know, you become like you pick and choose where you where you're going to put your energy, where you're going to invest yourself. And um, you make a statement when you feel you see something is really off here that can hurt somebody in some way or another. You you participate in things that help to uplift people. So the systems are usually big enough and huge organizations like that, that you can find your way around the madness. But not necessarily. I, I think that educational institutions may give you that more if you're in a professor role. Um, but if you're in an administrative role, I don't know that you always have those same kinds of choices. And I also don't know that people have those choices as much as we'd like them to in like large like systems. Um, but do, I you, think, do you work for a large? Is it a smaller college or a larger college? Yeah, it's pretty big. Mm -hmm. I just think like big systems, sometimes people can get really lost because they don't, unless they're, they have a unit, right? Where somebody's really cognizant of building a team and literally every big, big system has a lot of small systems. So, um, I think that I've, I've actually been privileged in some of the big systems I've worked in to have like small pieces, small teams that worked really well and like made you excited about being there. So. Um, I've had some really great times and I've also got, I got to, I created a course called the black woman. I, yeah, you had that, you had that freedom. Yeah. I had that freedom. It actually, uh, triggers this, uh, vision I have 
about what's happening on our planet, which is like, you know, uh, uh, the, the largest macro version of a system, right? But that uh, the, the breakdown in many ways of how interconnected our globe has become is maybe allowing for smaller communities. Uh, I, 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 ha- I have hear this phrase of the temples of light um, are being created and that many of us are maybe being called to physically move at some point or align virtually or wherever to find our tribe, to find our communities and, uh, and to build from there. And so within an institution like yours to have smaller sort of communities or groups or organizations that, that you can find your place in, because you're not going to resonate with everything in the system. And there's going to be things you need to say no to, and there's going to be things. And, and again, everything is expanding and growing. So we're always changing. So our relationship with a given system is always changing, is always being a little bit tested here, a little bit flow here, a little bit discovery here. Um, so that feels important to be able to feel held, kind of how we started the conversation, like seen, reflected back in the way that's important to you. Um, and so uh, how, how is that relationship? Now? I mean, I'm sure that relationship has ebbed and flowed over the years oh, as yeah. you've continued yeah, yeah. to carve out uh, yeah. your place. How is it feeling currently? Yeah, it feels good. I'm, I'm good now. You know, I'm, I've been at it for a long time. Um, so I know my limitations. I know what feels good to me. Um, and I would say, I think the most challenging part for me now, I think in most educators now is, is our concern about what we see in terms of like challenges for young people and, um, their sense of being, we've almost, I I talked to a colleague yesterday. She, she, she used to be in education, not anymore, but she said, we're almost setting them up to be, to burn out. You know, so I think that for for many of us, the the concern is about like, what are we creating for the people who are, you know, 20 years from now? How are we helping them like really be able to be like creating this world where they can thrive? So and the the larger the system, the harder it is to change. Right. And but and yet systems have to change because everything changes, everything grows. So if the stu- if the systems are not able to adapt to, which it would probably be impossible to change as rapidly as young people change because they're literally they're like operating in a different frequency at this point. I don't even know. Young people are just they're so different, um, and it's always that way. So the system, in a way, is always trying to catch up. But I, it does feel like there is a a collective wave of upgrading of systems that is happening now that is almost peaking um, Mm. because it's system, many systems across uh, educational institutions, economic institutions, political institutions, they've been holding on. They, but you know, once you become big enough, maybe you're able to hold on to a way Mm. of doing things while, while you sort of circle through generations, but it's reaching a point where it's, it's kind of feels untenable. I mean, you know, the educational system, even just the idea of going to college, I don't feel like a lot of young people see the value. Like, why? Why would I go? Like, I could be a creator on YouTube. I could make millions of dollars. I could just express my truth. Why do I need to know what you have to say? Like, and pay so much money. Like, I just think, yeah. And, you know, again, I think everyone plays a role in the spectrum. Like, if you can carve out your space and you can, you know, say yes to things that light you up, say no to things that don't, be an advocate for, you know, whatever, the voice, the role you're meant to play and come into your truth in that system. That's amazing. That was just like not 
where I was being guided, I was like, oh, my, my nose are leading me to literally the woods where I just start chopping down trees on my own. And maybe I'll circle back around other systems. Whatever. I'm open. I'm not here to put myself in any boxes. But um, yeah, I think we all find our way into um, into relationship with systems. Because as long as we're here, we're going to be relating to some. And uh, systems that support young people are just, in fact, because young people are, yeah, like you said, they're amazing. You could just watch them. I mean, and we, you know, we we judge them because they trigger us and they do things that are not the way that we did. And they say things that are not the things that we said and they feel more freedom or whatever. But um, their young people are like a snapshot of where the world is growing because they're uh, the seeds of where of what is blooming. So like, like it or not, this is, we got to pay attention. You got to see like, what are they saying? How are they feeling? How are they perceiving the world? And what are they looking around at and saying, yeah, that's not going to work anymore. Like, I'm not cool with that. Um, we got to be willing to to listen and, and, and learn from that. Well, this has been... Um, an amazing weaving that we've that we've done here today. <laughs> I feel, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed the flow, um, and uh, and we may we may start to um, to wrap things up. But but I'm curious just about uh, so your your flow, like so teaching is, is still seems to be a big part of um, how you serve, how you serve the light. Let's just say in that spiritual foundation, and you also see individual clients. Is that, is that yeah right? um, yeah coaching you know um coaching people yeah burnout um burnout yeah and um really wanting to build more doing training helping people at the organizational level i've done that when i worked in the aids um worked in hiv aids um one of the things i did was to help build sort of wellness um programs for organizations for healthcare providers so that's one of my goals is to do more of that um as time goes on you see maybe the seeds of that's where you might be expanding into yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i see that i love that and um yeah co- so do you do you use your uh clinical license for coaching or no no no, no. yeah 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 that, that that's something that i just that that's one of the things that i feel like we you know is a part of expansion it's like going with going with the tide it's like this is just so constricting the it's like when I was emailing you back then, it's like, I, I'm coming up against so many blockages that are just not going to, so if I just have to throw away this license, that's, that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's, you know, what am I, I can't, once you start to honor that light that's growing, anything that starts to impede it, you know, if you have a foundation that transcends uh, systems, you know, there's a part of you that's just like, well, I'm just not going to buy into anything that gets in the way of my light. And, you know, it can create messy situations, but it's like that. I feel like that, that young person's spirit, which is like, there's got to be a way. And, and coaching is just something that's been like, I think for some, for some people who become clinical psychologists or whatever, it's like, well, no, I couldn't do that. I already, I already went through this program. I got this doctorate. I got, it's like, yeah, but what allows you more freedom? Like I'll call myself whatever I have to call myself to yeah. be free and serve in my light. So that I feel like more people are stepping into um, coaching or just or freeing themselves from some of the constrictions yeah. around um, licensure. Some, some people I know who are psychologists do, do will 
have their psychology license and then they'll do a certification as a coach. But I just, uh, I just earlier this year, a woman who works with to help women who are feeling like they're fighting this glass ceiling and they're fighting all these sort of constrictions to grow their careers. She's been developing her, I don't know, I think I might've met her about four years ago and she's been developing her program over several years. And she just decided she was seeing clients too, like, because when you're licensed, you can treat people for, you know, diagnosable disorders, right? Right. Um, <laughs> all, all of that should be in quotes. Oh, that, treat, right. diagnosable, whatever. Yeah, whatever that right. means. <laughs> you know, so um, she said, you know, I've grown this business working with women and they're doing so well. They're very excited about the way I'm helping them. And she just decided not to renew her license. She said, I'm, I'm retiring as a psychologist. I'm retiring that part of me. And she has built this work, you know, this work with women to expand their careers. And if she ever wants to be licensed again, of course, she could go back and get it. For right? sure. Not like yeah. she already passed the exams that she needs. Right. Oh, I'm never taking that thing again. She said, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, she, she just retired it. Right. So, you know, you have. As somebody, you know, who's gone through any kind of doctoral program in, in psychology, you have so many skills you gained, right? And then afterwards, if you're like us, well, I'm just go take this class. I mean, I love I love going to the like the the people who do the self-compassion work, like the the Kristen Neffs and the Chris Germans of the world. Yeah. Or the ACT therapy. I like I like their approaches. I like what they're teaching because there's like some Buddhism, you know, infused. Totally. hundred percent. Right? So yeah. I love it. And I feel like, you know, what they offer you in terms of frameworks, and you have enough skill to know how to translate that into a strategy that, that somebody can use every day. Right. So that's what I think, I, you know, the training ultimately for me is like, how do you take these pieces, fit them together in a way and deliver them so that how do you weave? How do, how do you, you weave? weave? Right. How do you weave? Because then this person could take that and say, oh, I need a tie from that, that cloth. I'm going to just make me a tie. Right. Somebody else might say, well, you know what? I just need like a little bangle and I'm going to take this bangle right now. That's what I need. So it just becomes, you know, you you come with the this rich background of information and you keep building and the more you just keep seeing how oh that fits with, it matches it doesn't have to match it just has to go together you know and it goes together right so so it's like that so just just keep trusting right trusting that and trusting that um you know you're building on a a, a foundation that you know, for me, that found literally, you know, why I chose cognitive behavioral framework as a college, as a doctoral student, because my mother used to say to me, as did our first spiritual teacher, there's a Bible verse that says, as a person thinks, so are they, right? Or, or sometimes it's read, as a man thinks, so is he. Literally at 13, look, you manifest in what you think. Well, that made sense. So cognitive behavioral therapy made so much sense to me. Why? Because of them. Right. They made it make sense to me. So I, I've always been seeing these, you know, I think I did a presentation as a young psychologist called of the same cloth, you know, spiritual traditions and cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that, where I talked about how the two I could see the connection between the two. So and you could see the connection. So it was up to you to be the bridge. And I, I did a I did a presentation in grad school 
comparing Buddhism and Freud. And people were like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I made it work because I have a way with, I have a way with words and I just made it yeah. work, you know? Um, and that's the thing is one of my highest values is freedom. And I think we just need the freedom to weave. And like some people, like some of the names you mentioned, they can, they can don the title and work within the licensure or whatever, if they even do. And weave, at least weave some of the um, more traditional frameworks like CBT and mindfulness. Or they, they can weave in their own way. You know, I think what I found, a lot of people find is like once you get that sort of Harry Potter sorting hat assignment of like, oh, like for me, it was like psychoanalysis. But but then you start to, there are all these divisions and separateness. Oh, well, the, the CBT people don't agree with the psychoanalysis. And it's like, well, this is so silly. Like <laughs> all these divisions are just so ridiculous. They're not even, you're all borrowing from the same place and just naming it different things. And, oh, you want to come up with different words for trauma? That's cool. Or you want to, it's like, they're coming up with, they're trying to, they're like, they become corporations trying to survive against some other when really what happens is every person becomes a weaver of these traditions and lineages and for me, it needed to be outside of that. It doesn't necessarily need to be for others. I was probably the fastest retiree in the history of psychology. I got I got my license and I was like, yep, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> oh, I have to wait a couple months to use it? No, I'm not going to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, was at, I was at a good fit for me within the frames that I had liked up till that point. Attachment theory, mm. you know, it was very trauma focused. Um, but I just, I needed to keep weaving keep going further and uh and it led me to some to some strange lands and we just we need the freedom to to do that so we can like you said translate it into something that is in our voice and comes out in sort of the effectiveness of of what we have to give with all that because yeah you gain so many skills and you just have so many skills as a human being and though you learn lots of things in a graduate program you're not really going to be necessarily shown how to weave in the most dynamic, vibrant way. You're kind of gonna be. You're kind of gonna be shown in the ways that people did it before you, and that could really work for you. Or you naturally come up against some limitations, and hopefully the system or the environment will encourage you to keep yeah. keep going. Yeah, that's beautiful. So this feels like um, a natural place for us to uh, conclude this tapestry that we have woven together, and um, I'll just. Uh, ask if there's if there's anything else you you'd like to say any anything at all. No, I I actually feel complete. Beautiful, beautiful, and I, yeah, and I know we didn't I didn't touch a ton on the burnout. I know that's something you've related to um a lot but i feel it fits perfectly within the tapestry of what we've been saying because burnout to me because i studied that a lot in my own way because i received the diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome that was the mind body syndrome that was the spirit you know the mental physical spiritual uh illness that got me to expand um and whatever you want to call it whatever label we put on it it's like to me it's like the, the the spiritual sickness or symptom that is showing you that, you know, the way you're participating in various systems, the way you're showing up for yourself ain't working. And there's just, there's gotta be some, yeah. some deeper attunement, some coming home to yourself, some, some exploration, which, um, 
which hopefully we we continue to do. Yeah. And then so the last thing I'll just uh, ask is is where can people find you if you'd like them to? Yeah. So you can find me. My website is life in four the number four partharmony.com. And from there you can contact me. You can send me a little message. I'm also on LinkedIn, probably more regularly than anything else. Um, yeah, you can find me there too. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. And I just have to say, like, I find LinkedIn so funny. Like, I go on there and I'm like, I just don't belong here. I look around at other people. I'm like, oh, got, you got, I, I just got nominated for VIP of sales. And I'm like, okay, does anyone want to, like, talk about aliens? Or <laughs> this is like, yeah, this doesn't feel yeah. like the, the, the place. But sometimes I post things on there just just in spite of it. Yeah. Just like, well, I'm making space for myself on LinkedIn. I don't care. <laughs> um, okay, well, I uh, will put all that in the show notes. And I would just say thank you so much, Sandra, for, for joining me and, and weaving with me today. It's, um, it's been fun. Thanks. Thanks for hanging out. Give me the chance to hang out with you. Thanks for listening. If you liked the episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen. And if you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out on Instagram, my website, or my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Atkins, where for $5 a month, you can gain access to all sorts of exclusive benefits and offerings for the Be The Vessel community. This includes live channeled events, a new healing series podcast, and more. Until then, may you be the light, the frequency, and the vessel for your highest vision.